What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in and checking out the Hustle the Most podcast. This is episode 24. I'm your host, Wes, and today we're going to talk about how a single conversation with the right person can completely change your whole game. So not too long after moving into my apartment in downtown Seattle, I started to try to figure out what was next for me. I was working at Urban, but the paint was drying pretty quickly and, uh, you know, I was just kind of looking for something different. So, you know, like a lot of other people, I just needed to make more money. So I started looking for a different job. I kept working at Urban and I just needed like something else, something extra. I needed another job. I needed a side hustle, something to kind of keep me going. So let me ask this before I kind of jump into this. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that completely changed your perspective on pretty much everything? Like a conversation that inspires you or gets you pumped up to, you know, start your own personal revolution, right? Um, I had one of these conversations with one of my favorite humans in the world while sitting at a vegan Thai food restaurant in the U District of Seattle. The restaurant we were sitting in was called Araya's, and I got to give a shout out to them because I used to crush their buffet like on a regular basis. It was always amazing. I haven't been there in a while. I'm not sure if it's still open. I, I assume, I hope that it is because it is amazing. Uh, but you know, this day and age, a lot of things are closing for a lot of different reasons. So for those of you that don't know, this is a Thai food restaurant in the university district uh, for University of Washington. It was on the Ave at the time before they had moved over to their other location on 45th, maybe? Mm, 40, yeah, I think something like that. Anyway, so on this day, uh, you know, at Arias, I had a conversation with my friend Greg Benick that changed my life forever and pointed me like in a completely different direction. Uh, it's pretty crazy. So Greg is the singer of this amazing band from Seattle called Trial. And I think in 1997 is when we met for the first time. Trial came to Detroit to play with Earthmover and they completely crushed it. Like, I think we kind of like met in passing, didn't really become friends per se until probably we ran into each other a handful of years later in 99 or maybe 2000 when Walls of Jericho met up on tour with Trial in a lovely place called Minneapolis, Minnesota where we played a club called the Firefox, which I don't think exists anymore. But this is my first time seeing Trial in years. And they had a handful of new people in the band that I had never met before. You know, over the years, like lineups change. It just happens. It was always interesting to see who was going to end up out on the road. You know, sometimes uh, the people that were in the band uh, at home wouldn't be the people that you would see out on tour. So, you know, touring was like an entirely different animal. So all kinds of different circumstances that would cause bands or band members to, you know, make hard decisions, right? Whether they were going to go on tour with a current band or just kind of grab other dudes with less responsibilities, right? That could kind of go out on the road and, and, you know, be cool with not making a lot of money, but just kind of go out for the experience, right? It's kind of how it works. So I think these dudes were maybe fully in the band at the time. I'm not exactly sure, but either way, the lineup if you're following along at home, was Greg Benick and Tim McIntosh, Brian Redman, Josh Mosh, and Nick Platter. Like, this was one of my favorite lineups of the band. You know, not to discredit any, like, former lineups they've had, but, you know, they had just released this new record on Equal Vision called Are These Our Lives. It absolutely crushed. It was way different than anything Trial had ever done, at least that I'd heard. 
and it was heavy and like moshy and just all over awesome and just crazy. Like the drums on the record were played by one of my favorite drummers of all time, this guy named Alexi Rodriguez. I think we talked about Alexi before, maybe a few episodes back. He was a drummer of the band Catharsis. And that was like the first band that I had ever toured with when I was an earth mover. I remember probably a year earlier, Alexi and I stayed at this house together when Walls and Catharsis were playing uh, a fest together, in, also in Minneapolis. It was like something they did at the, at the college. And he had a demo of a few tracks from the trial record. And he played them for me. And it was one of those things where like, he's like, you can't tell anybody I have this recording. Uh, it's not out yet. You know, we're not trying to like leak it or whatever, right? This was like 2000 and I don't think leaking records was a thing yet, but, uh, you know, he played the first song for me and, you know, he didn't tell me who it was. He was just like, oh, this is just a record that I did recently, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, played like the first 10 seconds and, and it was just like all just, just super, just thunderous and great. I'm like, this is awesome. And then Greg comes in and it's freaking trial. And I was like, <gasps> like my mouth, like literally was just open and just jaw hit the floor. And I was like, this is crazy. Cause it just, again, it was completely different than anything I'd ever heard from, from trial. And it just all came together. And the record is just perfection. It's fantastic. So we'll have to check it out. I'll have to throw a link up to it somewhere so uh, people can check it out. But anyway, so let's get back to Greg. So Greg and I were supposed to meet uh, for lunch at Arias, and I told him that I would be a little late because I had an interview that I had to go to. So I show up at Arias, and I'm wearing like a pair of khakis, and like a button-down shirt, and I walk in, and he's already there, and he's just kind of like, whoa, dude, looking good. Like, <laughs> Not normally what I would, what I would wear, right, to, to just go to lunch, but he asked me like, he's like, oh, where was your interview? And, and I'm like, oh, was that this place called Paper Zone? I don't know if you know these places or if they're even still around, but Paper Zone was basically like a, like a Kinko's. Like they made copies and binders and all kinds of stuff like that. So he asked me like, like, how was the interview? And I said, I didn't go in. He's like, what do you mean you didn't go in? I said, I sent in my resume and application and they offered me an interview. And I put on these silly clothes and I drove there and I sat in the parking lot and I just stared at the store through the windows. And I just couldn't see myself working there. And he said, paper zone? I'm like, yeah. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, I already felt bad enough. Like I just come from this interview, right? Then I told him, I'm like, I needed a job. I need a job. So I'm looking for, for more work, you know, something a little more, you know, different and more consistent than what I was currently doing. And, and so before I go on the next part, I have to tell you a quick little preface on Greg is that Greg is a, not only is a singer of the band Trial, but he's also a professional juggler, an MC, and a public speaker. It seems crazy. If you don't know, uh, it's, you know, now you know, right? So he's juggled and spoke at every event you can imagine for thousands and thousands of people. I saw a video once of him juggling like three or four pins while riding a six-foot unicycle and telling funny stories and jokes. Like this dude is a legit entertainer. Like no, no, no question about it. He's a complete entertainer. Uh, if you want to see Greg in action, I mean, gregbenick.com, best way to, best way to get him, best way to see the videos. You can just Google Greg Benick juggling. You'll see lots of stuff. Like his dude is truly, truly a legend and definitely a master of his craft. So over the years, Greg has mastered the art of advice that he bestowed upon me. 
Here's what he said that changed the entire game for me in my entire mindset. This is as much as closely as I can remember it, word for word. This is what he said to me. You're a drummer, right? You're a great drummer. I've played with you and you're great. So I think that there's someone out there that is willing to write you a check to play drums for them, teach them drums, talk to them about drums, or do anything with drums. Your job is to find those people. And I'm just sitting, staring at him like, just it, the wheels are turning and, I'm, and there's smoke coming out of my ears and I'm just thinking, you know, I think that when this kind of conversation happens, you have a choice. Either do something or do nothing. I took this advice in this conversation very, very seriously. And I went all in. I just went all in. So after lunch, I went home and thought for the longest time about how can I make this happen? How could I find these people? He told me I have to find these people. That's my goal. That's my job. Make it my job to find these people. This was probably, this was in 2004, right? So the internet was happening, but it was by no means like out of control like it is today. So social media was just kind of starting and message boards were still happening. So the next day, I bought the domain westkeely.com and I went to work. I spent 48 hours straight sitting against a wall on a mattress on the floor in a sleeping bag hand coding a website where I would tell the world about my drumming experiences. The page I created was not pretty. It was like one long page, kind of like how you would see a blog today. And I had some photos, I had some MP3s, I had a bunch of tour dates I had done. So I had the site up and running and I started to post it on these drummer forums. These pages were like people looking for drummers, usually um, other band members. And, you know, it just, you just throw it out there and just see what you get. So within two days, I got my first email from a band in Virginia that needed a drummer to come down and record their demo with them. They had heard of a few of the bands that I had played in and, you know, they were pretty stoked to have like a seasoned drummer come in and sit in with them. And this was interesting because now that I had gotten a response and people were interested, I was like, what do I charge? Like, how does that even work? How much is, is too much? Like, what is my time worth? What about a flight? What about a hotel? You know, what about drums? Like, do I send mine down there? Like, who pays for that? How does that work? You know, if you think about it, there are so many like logistical questions that I just didn't have the answers to. I was just making it up as I went along, like completely on the fly, seat in my pants. Just that's how you have to do it sometimes. You have to, I don't want to say fake it till you make it, but you know, you learn as you go. So we squared away some logistics with this band in Virginia. And later that week, I was on a flight to Dulles to record a record with this band that I'd never heard of. Uh, it's just, it's just bananas. It just happened like that. So while I was down there, uh, you know, I was recording and I had gotten another reply to my, one of my ads on the drummer forum from a band from Tampa that was like, I'm looking for someone to record a record with them, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, this was great. I was like, Oh, I'm one weekend and, and it was all happening. So I wrapped up my gig in DC. It was about four days. I flew home to Seattle and while I was home, it was funny. I was actually, um, I had my car up for sale at the time 
I didn't drive much because I just didn't really need to. And um, my newfound uh, exciting career was going to have me traveling apparently. <laughs> so I came home like Sunday night and Monday morning, this guy um, had come from Montana and I had arranged him to meet me uh, and he's going to drive the car home. Funny, the Greyhound station was like on my street, on Stewart Street. So he took the bus from Montana, walked about three blocks, and he was at my house. So it was perfect. Like I sold the car, you know, which is, this is kind of strange. Actually, I'm thinking back that he never test drove the car. He sat in it in front of my apartment. He was a little bit bigger guy, but he sat in front of it or sat in it in front of my apartment, looked around, did like a once walk around. He's like, okay. Like didn't test drive it, didn't turn it on. We went inside and did some paperwork and he was there. Like he was going to drive home. You know, the car ran great. I mean, I drove it all over the place, but you know, what if for some reason it didn't go very far? What if it only made it to, you know, Tacoma, right? And then it broke down. I guess he was kind of prepared to, uh, to, to walk that walk if he had to, I guess. So anyway, it was cool. So we, you know, we did the, the paperwork and, you know, we sold the car and the next day I flew out to Tampa to start recording another gig. You know, I love, I love going to Florida. Like Florida is always fun to me. I love palm trees. Um, I remember coming down there and this kid basically had a couple song ideas and he wanted me to record them. So he said he had some, he had some drums available down there. So I was like, oh, this is cool. Like he's got drums. So I flew down there with like my Euro setup, right? Cymbals, sticks, pedal, and, uh, you know, I was on my way. That was it. Made it real easy for me. So I get down there and that night, and then I meet up with them like, yep, let's, let's get together tomorrow and we'll start, you know, working on these songs. And so I go to his house and we're just like, oh, we're going to work on these songs in the garage. And so I'm like, cool. He's got like a little setup out there. And he's like, I'm like, dude, do you ever get like a noise complaints? I'm like, just an aluminum door, like in the garage, just like an old school you know, like you'd imagine, you no know, crazy insulation or anything. And, uh, he's like, Nope, I've been playing here for years. Never had a problem. It's been, uh, it's been great. So day one of rehearsals were about an hour in and the cops show up banging on the door and shut us down. <laughs> so like, these are things you don't plan for, right? We ended up moving the rehearsal into the studio and it was pretty cool. The studio was actually owned by some of the dudes in ACDC. And this is we're in Tampa. I have no idea even what studio it is to this day, but I remember having like a bunch of ACDC stuff kind of around and we rehearsed there for two days and then recorded, I think four or five songs. And then on the third day, like I flew back home and I was in Seattle and on the flight home, I was thinking about this conversation that I had had with Greg and it was like less than three weeks ago. And here I was doing it. Like I was doing exactly what he said to do. My job was to find the people that were willing to write a check for me to drum for them, talk to them about drums, play drums, teach them drums. Like this was just the beginning of what would end up taking me all over the world again and again from simply finding the people. That was my goal. I was to find the people and that's what I did. So let's jump into uh, my favorite part of the podcast, which is talking about what I learned from all of this. And I'm going to keep this one short because I think that it was fairly thorough. I think that what I learned was pretty obvious. I just want to point out that sometimes the path you should take is right in front of you 
and it's so obvious, but you just can't see it. Before this, I had traveled all over playing drums, so why did I stop? For always, you know, life gets in the way of your dreams and ambitions and new dreams and new goals replace old ones. I took Greg's advice more so because I knew he had done it himself. He had a proven track record of success in his own world of juggling and emceeing, and he was able to, you know, create things and, and, and be a creative and live, you know, off of his creativity, which is exactly what I was trying to do. You know, he wasn't driving like fancy cars and, you know, wearing Rolexes or anything like that, but like he was eating in a restaurant and he was, you know, he didn't look homeless. Like, he, you know what I mean? Like he, this is one of the, oh, like this can be done. All right. This is, this is something. So, you know, seeing him and knowing him for so long and knowing what he's done and what he had went through to, you know, create that sustainable life for himself, it really gave me hope and it gave me clarity and it gave me perspective. And what it also gave me is a way to pay the rent. As always, thank you for listening to the Hustle the Most podcast. This was episode 24. Check out more stories, photos, and connect with me at hustlethemost.com. We'll see you on the next one.